This is the Daytona 500 version of Stacking Pennies. We are joined by none other than the champion, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. himself, later on in the show. So much to break down. We got the truck race. We got the Xfinity race. We got some pit road boats and woes. And we're going to introduce something a little new for you. Nonsense trivia coming right up. This is Stacking Pennies. Stacking them deep, selling them cheap. It tastes like gasoline, rubber, and victory. We're out here stacking pennies. Hello, friends. I am Corey Joy, driver of the number seven Chevy Camaro, and also the Chevy Silverado this weekend. And I'm also joined to my right, Mr. Chuck Bush. How's it going? Great LA Clash hat on top of your noggin today. Looks great. Going back to Cali. So we are going to go back. That's a sweet looking hat. Yeah. Sweet looking hat. Also, a little fun fact about the LA Clash that I figured out during the Ricky Stenhouse interview. The last two DNQs for the LA Clash have turned around and won the Daytona 500. Little factoid. So there is hope for me next year if I miss the show and I win the Daytona 500. Who knows? And also to my left, front tire changer and repair man for the 12 Ford Mustang of Ryan Blaney's car this weekend, Ryan Flores. Just whatever it takes, man. You guys got that thing was mangled, bruised, and battered, and still found its way for a top ten. Yeah, it wasn't like we'll, we'll touch on them boats and woes, but it wasn't like the body was messed up, but the suspension was good, so he yeah. was able to keep her in the wind. And there's an empty chair. We'll play the world's smallest violin in honor of Jonathan Merriman being in Disneyland. Doesn't he know we have a show to record? He does, but you know, the man uh, does a, a lot of work for NASCAR.com and for the YouTube page in general, and we hit that 1 million subscribers mark on uh, YouTube, so he was like, you know what, I'm going to take a vacation now. For oh. the one week. Vacation? Is he We've there been on vacation for three months. Is he there for What are you talking about? It's time to get to work. We're in here working, Chuck. Yeah. Oh, and he's off working. around to Space Mountain. <laughs> is he there for a week or what? Because for one week, the happiest place on earth just turns on another place in Florida while he's there. <laughs> <laughs> just the icy. You went there. You went there on Wednesday? Yeah, 13, yeah, 13 was... hour day in Disney. It was great. Ugh. No, it was good. We had fun. Kids had fun. A lot of, I saw Bubba Pollard there. I met Bubba Pollard for the first time. We talked Short about track guy. Yeah. Short track guy. I saw some indoor racing fans. That was good. Um, crew. And Harper had a great time. So, also stayed in the beach house, New Smyrna. We had a yeah, we families had fun. Had a lot of people down there. Um, started off the weekend pretty poorly. The old seven Chevy Cam uh, Camaro was pretty slow. We qualified one lap right out of the truck. Uh, P forty, I believe, my worst qualifying effort in five hundred by far. That was uh, that didn't start the week off good, but I made sure to. Uh, Tell our guys to stay motivated because really and truly there was only lap, one lap the entire week that counted. And it's the last one for the 500. Now, you got taken out of context a little bit. I'll stick up for my buddy here. Yeah. Part, part of being a professional podcaster, you got taken out of context a little bit in saying that it took no driving ability to qualify for the Daytona 500. Now, that wasn't – when you said that on the show, you weren't saying that as anybody can do it. You were just talking about how it just – proves the strength of your team and how much work they put in as far as arrow and horsepower and, and just preparation. You were more so just saying it's, it's a, it's shining a light on how strong your team is not taking Obviously if you're qualifying for the Daytona 500, you're you, a qualified you, driver. You are a good driver, right? You weren't like poo pooing on anybody, but it, all I'm saying, all I'm saying is this, if you took the top 42 cars and you change, if you drew names out of a hat, the order of cars remains the exact same. Yeah, all you're saying is that it's more about the car than the driver in qualifying. One lap qualifying at Daytona, yes. that is it. Yeah. Beyond that, when it comes to duels and drafts and position yourself, it takes all the talent in the world. Yeah. So people like some clickbait. People like uh, to make a story. So even even not even taking anything away from Alex Bowman, my man, they been on the pole for six straight years or yeah. on the front row, even so, with a new crew chief. That, but that really and truly goes to show that the amount of money that Hendrick spends on their super speedway development, whether it's engines or aero, with Bergie over there, Bergie, their engine shop, me. their engine shop, second to none, they can make a race car go fast in a circle. They got good guys, and they have. 
You took you look back in 1990. You know what? You know what? This again. factoid too, Chuck. This was the first time since I believe 2006 that a pole sitter has finished in the top five for the Daytona 500. Yeah, I heard that one. Wild stat. I'm super excited to talk to Ricky. I'm sure he's been running ragged. He's overeating at Waffle House. He's carrying that Harley Gerald trophy everywhere. He's got that ring on his finger. He's got a watch. Kind of jealous. Not going to lie, because I wish that was me. And I thought it was going to be me for a couple laps. I was up there in the hunt. Dude, I thought, first and foremost, you are going to win the duel. So you go from qualifying, damn, damn near dead-ass last. Yeah. Sparks, obviously, Sparks and the boys figured out what it was. And you had that thing in the wind. Probably against our better judgment. I mean, I was tired of going there down there for seven years with just the intention to ride all day long, all day Thursday, all day Friday, all day Sunday, and then like vulture race at the end and get up, get whatever spots left. Janie, Janie right here in all caps. You said all season you weren't going to race hard, but then you were pushing Danny who made that like you were, you were well, up front the whole time. That's in the race. So yes, in the duel, it got a bit spicy because we also wanted to see, here's my thing. You don't learn how to position yourself for a win to listen to, to TJ or for him to get better at calling runs and, and which lanes to cover and all that stuff if you don't find yourself there. So I thought that with the group that was in our, our duel, it was okay. And I, I you can kind of see the energy and the aggression level of guys pushing, of guys making moves. And I thought that I was pretty safe position. And we had to run to win coming out of two for two laps to go, had a big push that Austin Cindric covered and I had him picked up. Like I was dragging the brake, so I didn't hit him too hard, but I had him picked up like, all right, bro, you throw this, you throw this block on Sunday and you're getting wrecked. So it was one of those types of, of blocks that was late, but since it was Thursday and I didn't want to crash him, I cut him some slack and we ended up finishing fifth because we didn't get the help at the end. So lined up 12th for the great American race. Great, great spot to start. Well, and, you know, to that question of, you know, you said all off season that, you know, like, oh, we're not going to not going to really go for it, not going to really go for it. And maybe then, I was sandbagging, Chuck. I, I, maybe. Well, the question I had was, all right, you've got the truck race in there, too, mm-hmm. where you were out front and that you were leading some laps. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the ending is not the way we wanted it to go. Well, let's just but, touch touch on that right quick. So we qualified fifth, really strong truck. We had our left side truck arm was rubbing the oil tank. We found after qualifying so bono wanted to shorten the track bar up a little bit to get it away obviously an unapproved adjustment so he had to start tail end we drive up to about 11th or 12th figure out some pit strategy cycle to the lead we were controlling some lanes looking good we knew weather was coming in and i we led 20 laps or so we led the most laps of the day and when the top would get a tightened up i'd move up to the top block that no different than a cup race and you see guys do on sunday that's how you got to do it but you also are pretty exposed. If you throw a late block, you're going to get hooked in front of the field and probably wipe out 20 cars. So the way the trucks are set up, the roofs are way high, right? And you're looking through uh, where I'm used to looking through a camera on the dash. I'm looking up here at like a five panel old school mirror. And then I'm also looking at a spot mirror on the left side. That's like a foot above where I have to literally pick my head up to find that mirror. And on my cup car, my spot mirror is flat. So I can tell pretty closely, you know how they say on the bottom of a mirror, objects may be, you know, closer yeah. than they appear. Well, that's kind of how it is. So my, I know exactly on the front bumper of my cup car when somebody's in there, whether I'm clear or not. The truck had a rounded one, like a, like a fisheye one. So the trucks looked closer than what they were. And when the spotter called, it wasn't my cup spotter. It was Joey Campbell, who I thought did a pretty good job. He called clear down to cover the bottom lane they had to run and I looked at my spot mirror and I hesitated because the, they looked like he was in there when I was clear and that two tenths of a second hesitation was the difference of covering that lane I got stuck in the middle got shucked and then the rain came and we didn't get a chance to re-rack it now Jerry Campbell's a more than qualified spotter he did a really good but job. just being the first time working with him is that what caused a little bit of that hesitation I just didn't I didn't trust it right if it was TJ Bell I just trust if he says down get down yeah. And with the combination of not wanting to wreck the field and being a little bit passive with how my hands covering the lane, that tenth and a half second was the difference of, of winning, winning my first national series race. That really was the difference because we'd have hung on and it would have rained and that would have been it. But it had been nice to get the check and the trophy, but 
I wouldn't want my first one to be a damn rain-shortened race, to be honest with you. I want to cross the start-finish line with the checker flag, damn it. Yeah, you know what was cool was going back to the duel on Thursday after we were in the first duel, so I cruised over to Smyrna to check out the modified races, and I was sitting in the grandstands, and I pulled it up, and it was like the last five laps, and I clicked on Austin's in-car, and it was like looking back at him, and I was like, oh, Corey, click on you, and I was like, holy yeah. There's nobody in front of him, and that's when you got the run on the two, and I'm like, oh, he's got the run to win this thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just so crazy from that view because watching it from the TV, it just – there's stuff that looks so much different. But you could tell that you got there, and he kind of covered late, and you did like the, all right, all yeah. right. This, hey, I had I'm going to show you. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to dump you, but I could. Yeah. And it was just – it was cool to watch. And then you kind of – I watched the rest of it because of the view that they were showing was so cool. And then I saw the 38, like – get out of shape and then the bottom row disappeared and i'm like oh he's got a shot again yeah and, and it was it was fun to watch but yeah the- well at that point in time when the bottom lane got shucked i was content to run third because i had no chevys it was all it was a it was a ford ford chevy and then chase ended up dump like bailing on me but we didn't have enough help to make a run at the end but we were in contention which is all you can ask for and i had some fun got a lot of good uh press for old celsius uh they were on the car this weekend they were had a lot of people there, so that was pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, so Friday or Thursday, the duel had a good night. Friday in the truck race had a good night. I was pretty frustrated just about missing that one block. But, you know, that'll happen in big-time auto racing, and I'll be pre- better prepared the next time. And then you go – shout-out to Austin Hill, winning the Xfinity race. Yo. Now to Sunday. Yeah, but – before oh, yeah, we they were in a car upside down. From, no, but that dude in the Arca race. Greg Van Alsen. Oh, my dude, man was fired dude. up. That was the highlight of my Saturday. We were watching sure. that just pumped up. We that were literally awesome. in the uh, we were in the uh, the suite interviewing Travis, and we kind of turned around, and that guy was dang pumped up, bro. Yeah. That's what it's all about. That's it. That's what it's all about is guys going from I don't know where he's from, like, I don't know, Iowa. San, no, he had Sam Pierce Chevy on the side, so he's got to be from Indiana. Okay, call him from, from Indiana. My man probably has one car in his garage. Got one speedway car. He said he had that was his only speedway car as a late model guy. 41 years old, Anderson, Indiana. Um, you know, he he hasn't been full-time competing in ARCA since, twenty like, 2021 is when he came back. He did a little bit back in 02. Like he took a, a break from it. He took a brief break, like, nineteen years. Yeah. But, but you see, you see in Arca, like when you go to the garage, you see the factory backed younger kids that you know the Toyotas putting in a Venturini cars or in a Gibbs car or in a Chevy. And or Frankie Muniz. Well, Frankie did a good job. It is. And then you see like the short track guys that got an Arca car because their dream was to race at Daytona. Yeah. And that's what he falls under. So it's like a breath of fresh air to see a guy like that meant. That's not just another step to becoming yeah. a cup driver to him. That is the end goal. That's what he. That's his dream. And yeah. to see that realized in his interview, man, it was just it was so cool to watch. Well, my man's working night and day from November till you did it February eighteenth, bro. Oh, for sure. You know, you and that. you're massaging on that thing, and you're like Daytona, right? Like Days yeah. of Thunder. Like all boils down to Daytona. My man Greg Van Alls got the dub. So congrats to him. And Ricky Stenhouse Jr. rings the bell for the 500. Holy moly, what a race, Chuck. How'd it look? I mean, it looked great. I was uh, watching at home on the couch like a true fan, and that was just – it was a good race. It was – So we found our way to the front early. Started 12th. couple guys shook up, got the lanes going. I found myself on the back bumper of the 48. and we kind of got a run off the top, and we were trying to get down. Green flag stops were coming up. We found our way to lead in the bottom lane. I'm running second. I'm like, oh, look at us go. I know we got a long way to go, but I'm like, nah, like we got to just maintain this track position. And it was weird how the race played out with just guys peeling off early or OEMs peeling off earlier than others and people timing it better on getting linked back up. So your, your group lost the least amount of time relative to the other group. Cause you'd see some guys execute it. Well, you'd see some guys not execute it. Well, it kind of ebbed and flowed of who was up front and who wasn't. You know, there was a time where Joey was mired back in traffic and vice versa. So um, we found our once we kind of found ourselves like in the middle towards the back of like the front pack. I just elected to like be kind of at arms arms distance. We uh, we're running I don't know twenty eighth to thirtieth, just waiting on them to wreck because there's really nowhere you can go if nobody's willing to get a third lane going, and hoping that our pit strategy with 
limited amount of time on pit road could leapfrog us the next pit cycle, which happened. We got back towards the front. Denny and I were working together. Look at us go, Chuck, buddies. Just buddies up there pushing each other like Cal Naughton Jr. and just Ricky Bobby. Just two fellow podcasters. Just two fellow podcasters up there just trying to sling the sport. And we were making some hay. We had the top going. We had the bottom going. I think I was pushing him pretty well. His car was a bit squirrely, but you know, it looked. It might look like from the outside that you're just both holding it wide open and driving white knuckle, and you're really settled in. But you're doing a lot of dragging the brake if you're the second car. You want to time your bump soft and pick up that guy softly so you don't get him out of out of control. And these cars are super finicky. If you you don't want to push on the left rear corner of the bumper because it yeah. sits the car on that bump stop and then you're just a passenger like you saw the 99 so in the eight in the duel slap. it'll get you tank slapping so you want to make sure if you're the trailing car to push on that right rear corner and you almost want to try to spin them out because that's the way you want to push is like the center of the bumper to the right because the bank is going to catch you too the bank's going to catch you but also the blade's going to catch you when you put yeah. it out there but you're also at the mercy of whoever's pushing you because if how you much... get stuck in the middle you're hanging on yeah how much do you lift compared to drag the brake? Are you always flat-footed? Because, like, I know when you're not leading, like, the guys that aren't leading are, are saving more fuel, so that means they're yeah. off the gas. Yeah. So, like, what's that look like? It's so when the aggression level gets ramped up, you're wide open, drag and brake. Yeah. And big checkups, you'll lift. But when I, when you're running second, you're just you're just using the brake pedal to modulate. What about the beginning of the race where you're the fifth car on the top, your fifth you're, car in line you're on the top? Crew, you literally just try to hold the gas at, like, 70% the whole really? time. Yeah. You know what? You know what was cool to me? and I, I realized this at the beginning of the race, is you kind of see the pack and you see cars. I'm not going to name any cars, but you see cars that, like, shouldn't be there. Yeah. Like, oh, that guy shouldn't be there. And really, you have gotten to a place where it's like, you see the seven car and you're not like, oh, look. Oh, yeah. look, Corey, look at that. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, you're expected to be there now, and you look like you belong, and that was nice to see. So I actually, I said that same thing. So Josh Wise texted me uh, this morning. Hey, man, like, great job this weekend. And Josh is is he's like the driver coach for Chevy guys, and, and we do some stuff together. But he's also a guy that looks at like execution and effort and how you position your car, and not necessarily at the results, right? So that coming from him was like, oh, okay, so like that makes you feel good. And also, I responded back to him of like that's the first time I felt like I belonged, like I've felt like I was part of it, like an asset to somebody who wants to be pushed or somebody's going to go with me when I make an offensive move. That was a big difference from what I've, I've been used to seeing. So that did feel good of like I was in the mix and felt like guys had to race against me for the change as opposed to guys always looking to shuck me out. Instead of, like, instead of that, they're pushing me wanting to go to the front because they know I can make the right moves to get there. So that was pretty positive, pretty pumped up about that. So a lot of good things came out of the weekend. Uh, once Denny went to the top, the top got a bunch of numbers and the bottom lane a bit struggled because newsflash, the car that qualifies for 41st isn't going to be the fastest one towing the bottom. That's where I found myself towing the bottom lane, lost a little bit of, little bit of energy. But there, it, gets, lost some track it gets strung out. The, the speed usually goes to the top anyway. I don't know Man, why. Man, it, it was legitimately. So Justin Haley did a good job pushing me. Jimmy was behind him. And there was like six or eight cars in a line. But as we start, every car that we lost in line, I couldn't see it, but I could feel it. I could hear really? it in the tone of the motor. Just every car we lost was like 50 RPM. Just, Dude, I love that NASCAR app just for that, like to go in car and you can hear it. Like I saw with, I watched, went back and watched Blaney's in car from um, the duel when we pushed Joey the win. And it was like, oh, like it was so crazy just to hear it. You can almost, when you're watching it and you hear it like that, you can almost feel it too oh, just yeah. by watching the in car. I can only imagine what it feels like in, in person. It, when they get, when they get sunged up, you're like, here we go. Well, hang on. So the, the, you saw early in the race, Joey and, and Kyle Larson were pushing pretty hard and they'd get a big run and be out and then get pushed back. So when we were leading the line, we were burning a lot of fuel. So we had to come down with like kind of a hodgepodge group. We all came down and we left really broken up. Zane Smith was behind me. So him and I kind of caught Travis Pastrana and David or Todd Gill. And, and if you listen to the podcast on Sunday, Travis was a bit embarrassed and, and, really upset that he drove into that wreck on Thursday. So 
come uh, now now as I piece it all together, he's leading our line. And we're like a half a mile behind the main pack, hoping for a wreck. Well, they get one out of two. And Travis, two feet stands on the brake pedal leading the, this line. When you can't even see the, the can't even see the wreck. We all freaking smash into each other, get on the apron. Guys are like wrecking yeah. just to try to keep it straight. So it pushed my front bumper the way the, the cow snorkel is. It literally pushed my front bumper into the cow snorkel and choked off the motor. So I had no power to finish race. That's why I wasn't able to get up in the mix and contend for a little bit better finish, which was frustrating, but ended up 16th. Yeah, that's a tough part when you come, you know, Travis did a great job, but that's the that's the small details that you don't know until you do it. Yeah. So for for those of a uh, 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 for those that might not know, what exactly is a cowl snorkel? Well, you're probably have to listen to some sort of breakdown, um, and it's easier to it's under it's under the hood. So now all used to be the engine got its airflow, as air intake from right where the hood and the windshield meet. There was a like a two by twelve square there. Yep. Now it gets everything from the radiator inlet and it kind of wise off from the radiator inlet. And above that, it has a carbon piece that the air comes from that and goes straight into the air box. So everything's tucked in there nice. And the front bumper is literally right in front of that. And it got pushed back four or five inches. And that was all she wrote. So when you open the hood, you'll see like the louvers that you see when the car, like on the hood, when you open that and you look in there, you'll see all the carbon. Well, the the air from the radiator goes back out the hood and then there's a centerpiece and that goes almost like ram air to the intake. Yeah. So, so that was choked off. So my girl was gasping, gasping for air, trying to suck yeah. through a straw and in speedway racing air is everything for sure. So I don't know, that might actually been a blessing because we probably would have been just fast enough to drive right to the scene of the crash with yeah. those last couple wrecks there. But who knows? I mean, I definitely would have been faster than, then the 12, because he was banged up, right? But who who's to say? I'd love to finish yeah. top 10 because it paid a lot better, but, you know, you'll have that big-time auto racing. Well, and to your point earlier when you were know, talking with Josh Wise, it, Merriman and I both saw this, and I don't know if it was something resurfaced on Twitter because of the algorithm from Atlanta last year, but there was a Chase Elliott quote that popped up about you being an underrated driver that deserves a shot. And like when you see, like from my perspective, watching the weekend that was Daytona, like you're in contention in the truck race, like in, in the cup race, you're up there making moves. What is that type of, I don't know, from your peers to hear those types of things? I mean, it definitely makes you feel good, right? But it doesn't change where I'm at and who I'm doing it with and the projection or like the trajectory of my career. Um, it does make you feel good when your competitors acknowledge that because – Chase Elliott was one of the guys I was smoking 10 years ago. I mean, he was like back in the day, 10 years ago, if you showed up to an ARCA race or a K&N race, like you had to beat the 07. Like, and I knew that. And I felt like I had the swagger of like, all right, bro, like when you line them up toe to toe, I'm going to get you. And I hadn't had that opportunity when I sat down and looked at it on paper before the weekend. And Ryan kind of touched on it last week. I hadn't driven in my three, you know, the Cup Series, Xfinity Series, or, or Truck Series. My two now three Truck Series starts, my twenty however many Xfinity Series starts, and every single one of my Cup Series starts haven't been with a team in the top thirty in points. And I'm not saying that berating the teams I've driven for. But that's just my trajectory, and I haven't had opportunity in a car that's relatively as fast as a top ten car, let alone a, a race winning car. So that's why. I was pumped up to drive that truck, but obviously it had some speed qualifying fifth and we showed what we can do if, uh, if we have the hot rod that can do it. So to hear Chase say that, that goes to the point, like who deserves what, right? I'm here. I'm getting paid good money to do what I'm doing, but I would like to think that I would get a nod in a championship contention team one day if I keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. And, and, you know, when champions of the sport notice that, you know, you, you did run, you know, 10 years ago, you were beating Chase more often than he was beating you and beating Kyle Larson more often than he was beating you. But they, you know, they have gone on, had great opportunities and have been able to seize those opportunities. And, you know, you hope that you do the same thing when you get that opportunity. That's why each and every week, stacking pennies. I want to say I even heard Rusty Wallace say something about it on the MRN broadcast uh, 
So, you know, that's Merriman's favorite guy. So, you know. Yeah. I mean, Merriman's f- favorite. If he gives you a vote of confidence, that makes you really Dale Jarrett gave you some kudos. That was week? cool. So, I was up there at Trackside Live with, with Daryl Mott, and we're talking, and DJ was up there before I was, and he's down there signing autographs while we're doing a Q&A. And, like, 10 minutes goes by, and DJ comes back up on the stage. He's like, hey, give me that mic. And he goes, y'all, if y'all want an underdog bet, Corey's your guy. It's going to work out really good for me. And it's going to work out good for you, too. I think I was like plus 1,800. And we showed some signs there where it was looking pretty good. But, you know, for Hall of Famers like DJ and guys, even, you know, Chase. And, you know, I th- I've heard Kyle Larson say the same thing. Like, guys can acknowledge when guys can get the job done and, and you're kind of limited by what you're driving. But I just got to keep on doing what I'm doing, man. Game recognized game. That's yeah. right. That's right. Before we move on and start talking, stop talking about Daytona 500, I mean – what an electric weekend. And then, and then just think about, like, my kid met freaking Blippy, right? Pete Davidson was sitting next to me on, on Noah's pit box. And the Thunderbirds? Like, it was yeah, just killer. Dude. So the 75th or the 70th anniversary of the Thunderbirds, they put on a freaking air show that was – there was a bird that went – felt like – looked like 10 feet over the grandstands. It was, Dude, it was a pri- That was worth the price of admission. I mean, everybody who was anybody was was there. And I hate to tell you, but NASCAR's getting cool again. Burt Kreischer, Tom Segura showing up. I mean, you got Derek, Derek Jeter showed up as a guest of MJ's. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about, Chuck. No. We need some more of that. And breaking news, Michael Rooker. Rowdy Burns himself is going to be the Grand Marshal for the Fontana race this weekend. Fire me up. I'm going to bring my – I have one of the three OG Exxon fire suits from Days of Thunder, so I'm going to bring that out there, see if he can put his John Hancock on it. You know why that pisses me off? You know what really grinds my gears? Every f***ing Halloween he dresses up like Rowdy Burns in an actual Rowdy Burns fire suit. How are you supposed to keep up with that? Can't do it. What am I supposed to do? Can't even – like, I ain't got enough muscles to be, like, the ultimate warrior. I can't be anybody cool. I got nothing. No, you don't. So just I, be you. Sucks to be you. Yeah. That would be cool if you got dressed up like Rowdy Burns this weekend, like you do uh, Halloween, get some black face paint and the bubble goggles with paint around it. You go get I could. a picture with him. I've got the OG fire suit. We'll see what uh if Michael Rooker can sign that thing. I'll go find him. That's my mission this weekend. Besides run good at Fontana, my really priority number one is to get him to sign it. For sure. We're going to break down a little pit road, boats, and woes. First one of the year for the 500. And then we're going to talk to the Daytona 500 champ himself right after that. Don't go anywhere. And we're back. Pit road, boats, and woes time. You had an interesting week. Uh, Well, day, rather. The 12, you guys do an unbelievable job of fixing a demolished car and making it actually like go fast still. Yeah, I will say that the, our car chief is like, and our whole team is really, I feel like our team is one of the strongest teams from top to bottom that I've ever been on. But our car chief, Ray Fox, uh, Raymond Fox, he's, yep, he's Ray still- Fox's grandson. He's been in the sport. He actually looks, he's got like one of those cards on his toolbox from like, he was on Davey Allison's team. The 28, like he's been in the sport since he was 16 years old, and he's got like one of those like 1992 or they what cards were Max Max yes, so he's got that on his box, and he looks younger now than he does in that card in like 1992. Like Raymond, how do you look younger? But you just think about the stuff he's seen. He's Mm. been in the sport for so long, and uh, he's learned from the best, and he just stays so calm and cool. And you know, we patched that thing back together, and the suspension when it came in, he's like, "How's that look?" I said, the suspension looks good. Like, toe link wasn't bad. Everything looks pretty straight. Blaney said the wheel was off, but it was on the splitter so hard that it's going to make, you know, it was going to make the the wheel be off. But we had to end up cut, cutting a bunch of supports and kind of cutting that right front corner away. And uh, he went back out, got a flat, and came back in, had to cut a couple more things off that were kind of hanging. But that, that Kirky bumper is pretty strong. It's rigid. And once that thing gets down, it's hard to get back up. But just a lot of experience on our team guys that were ready had the right tools were able to stay calm and get the job done and what kind of tools did it take you're not really allowed to have much anymore but sawzalls jack and a hammer yeah 
and you just start cutting and and then you go to and then you go to the tape and you tape and you try to tape down all your leading edges once you get it down and and you hope for the best and then you know ryan did a good job we knew that if we can get him back out there we could salvage something and and you know when you look back at our season last year and we go to daytona to make the playoffs it was a one point between us and truex to get in who's going to get in and then the three car wins and we beat truex by a point or two so these are the days that you look back at when you, if you get in a position like that again days where you could have finished 28th but you finish eighth yeah and and those are the days that you need to maximize um you know when it hits the when all hits the fan how you can salvage that is how you win a you know what the difference is between winning a regular season championship because those bonus points that you get for winning a regular season championship we saw them carry chase elliott into the round of four last year that yep. that's the type of stuff where even when you win and you're in you you still need to have those gritty days where you you know you you for sure keep yourself in it well that's that's what's going to take you from the round of eight to the round of four Correct. or the round of 12 to the round of eight who's the fastest one on pit road the fastest stop on pit road, I think, was in the ten second stop. It's it's really in the ten second range. I think it was a twenty car. It's really hard to kind of tell at Daytona because there's you're so much fuel. going on, and, and there's not really a lot of four tire stops. Um, but yeah, the twenty car seemed to have the fastest stop of the day, maybe like a ten five or somewhere in there. But this weekend, we're gonna know. This weekend's no bowl, worn out surface. Put four on it. Big yep. pit boxes. Let's run what you brung. Hope you brought enough. And I'm excited to get out there and uh, and get the mile and a half and, and the the regular season started. How know. many weeks? How many weeks does it take to where you feel like you're really in the flow of things in the season? It's really into the. I think the the meat of the sandwich really comes when you're in the playoffs. That's when you see guys really getting after it. Right now, I feel like it's just. You start the race, you get a couple darts on the board, and then when it's time to win the race, you, you, you buck up. Um, everybody's a little bit new. There's there's new things. Everybody's kind of trying new stuff. So getting into the, the rhythm, man, I, I always forget the dual day is such a hard day because you have to push your own pit box out. Usually a company called Champion drags our pit boxes out, so we're pretty spoiled. We get to the track, you know, four, three and a half, four hours before the race starts. All of our stuff is in our pit box. All we have to do is set it up. Well, we were down in pit stall two for the duels, and it was just a trek back and forth to the truck all day. It was like a half-mile walk, maybe even more, from the truck to our pit stall, and you're putting the box together, and you're doing all that for the duels, and, and there's a lot of new stuff on the pit boxes. So that's the – like, I feel like I do the pit stops for free. The pit stops are the fun part, but it's setting everything else up that I get paid for. That's that's the hard part. But, yeah, I'm you're going to have to hit the – this West Coast swing, when you look at California, worn out surface, the last time we're going there, everybody's going to want to win this race. Yep. <clears throat> and then you go Vegas and Phoenix, which you're going to have you're going to have to have your best feet forward at both of them right. because they're both tracks that you're going to are going to dictate one the champion and one how far you go in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. So this West Coast swing is real deal. You know, real deal pit stops, real deal racing. You got to have a complete team at all three of these races to win. You know, Daytona is fun, but once the allure and everything is over of the Daytona 500 and the Monday morning comes of California, it's like, okay, it's time to freaking go. So I'm fired up. And you know who else is fired up? The Daytona 500 champ, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. On the other side of this break, don't go any. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home? isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Anywhere. 
The man of the hour, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., our 2023 Daytona 500 champ, joins us from a tour of Chicago bus. What is going on? We are just we're just doing the thing here, you know. I mean, we're uh, we're promoting, I guess, myself and our team as the Daytona 500 winner, and also the Chicago Street Course race. We're getting it all done at the same time. We'll worry about the Chicago Street Race here in a couple months in July. But right now, we're talking Soldier about... Soldier filled. Soldier hey, filled. There it is. Looking good. Yes. Yes. Look, we're not racing in there. We're racing on the street. We're <laughs> racing around it. The Daytona 500, you are the champs, buddy. How's it feel? We are the champs. It feels good. Somebody asked me about that celebration the last time of Daytona, and I was like, you know, you don't plan on saying anything. So, like, I... Nothing came to mind yeah. this time. So uh, I just soaked it all in there on the front stretch. But, man, uh, Corey, I was just, you know, we were talking before we got going. I felt like, you know, there was a moment there. I was like, man, the old seven might get it done. You're leading the inside lane. You almost drug me down there because now we're moving forward. As you know, I mean, it's, it's just so circumstantial, any line that you get in, whether it works or not. But, you know, obviously we – ended up picking the right lanes at the right time and everything kind of fell into into line and got it done. So I think with the way these cars drive now and how important track position is, can you think back to like one decision you made or didn't make that you thought was the difference in the day? Well, I can tell you, I, I made a decision or uh, an error that kind of set up the rest of the race for us. We sped on pit road uh the last stop and i i stayed out one extra lap to stay in the draft and let a couple other people pit we came back down pit road the next time caution comes out wreck in turn one i would have been probably close to the middle of that wreck or the start of that wreck so we missed that wreck uh stayed on the lead lap was able to come back in and get more fuel i mean i ran out of fuel coming back to do my burnout. So, I mean, you line it all up and that doesn't happen, right? You don't come back in and top off. You don't have any issues. So uh, things like that just end up playing out perfectly. Well, that's what it takes when you win the great American race. It's all got to line up perfect. How many hours of sleep have you gotten since Sunday <laughs> night? So I got three, uh, basically three hours after the race before doing media uh, Monday morning. Went to Disney, got home at midnight and, you know, had to pack and do all that. So three hours last night before flying to Chicago. But, you know, I mean, when you win the Great American Race, three hours a night is plenty. For sure. Like Dick Trickle says, you need one hour sleep for every hundred for every hundred laps. I mean, you really only needed two okay. hours of sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're good. You're good. Now, I'm always curious, and I ask this question to a lot of different guys, but that's the Daytona 500 is something you dream about since you're a little kid, right? You always dream about, too, the moment you realize you want it. What is different now, two days removed from the biggest moment of your racing career, different than what you expected it to be? I mean, it's all, I would say, pretty in line with uh, what I expected. I, I don't think I expected – you know, so many people to reach out uh, from, you know, say different, you know, sports and, you know, music side of things. There's a lot of people, I know a lot of people watch our sport. We got the best fans in the world, but to see it, you know, on that kind of grand scale is, um, you know, we get lost, I feel like in our sport sometimes, and we feel like it's really small. And then something happens like this, and I feel like it's kind of eye-opening, like, thing. Like, that was our Super Bowl. Like, that is that big, right? And I would say that's the coolest part. So I saw a picture that we posted with your father of you with your first BMX bike. What was it like when you finally got to see him being that, you know, he was a racer and he got you in the racing. Then you finally get to see him in victory lane of the Daytona 500. What were those emotions like? Well, he, I mean, he's been at, at all my cup wins so far. And obviously a lot of the, the Nationwide Series championships and wins. But, uh, you know, I just got out and was like, hey, we finally did it. You know, he talked to me before the race and he's like, hey, you know, be a little less aggressive than normal. 
Um, you know, let's let's keep the nose clean on the car. He goes, you were plenty fast in the duels and in practice the other night without really pushing anybody. And I couldn't agree more. I, I felt really comfortable with our car. I felt like we had decent speed in the draft. We didn't qualify like we needed to, but I just got out and said, hey, we did it. We finally did it. This was, uh, I think, my 12th year trying. You know, and I look at all those other guys that, like the the 18 or the 8 now, the 19, uh, Smoke, um, you know, when as many times as he tried, as many times as he won at Daytona, I talked to him afterwards. He's like, dude, savor this moment. A lot of us work forever to never get it. And so it's, I know how special it is. And my dad uh, feels the same way. It's, it's awesome to share it with your family. Who was one of those guys you mentioned? Some sports guys, some music guys, people you wouldn't expect to be watching the Great American Race. Who was something where you're like, oh, that guy texted me. That's pretty cool. Parker McCollum, I, I knew what he would be watching. Um, Morgan Wallen commented on uh, an Instagram post of mine, I, I believe. Tyrone Woodley, I, I you know, I gave him a uh, ride in one of the two-seaters at Charlotte, and uh, he reached out. I was like, oh, dude, that's super cool. Um, and then Robbie Gold, uh, you know, good as gold. Kicker Robbie Gold reached out to me. Um, those are just a couple off the top of my head. That's pretty. Are you wearing a ring right now? Let me see it. Yeah, the ring's holding the phone. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, here we go. Oh, let's go. Right Jeez. There. Watch there. Oh, we get a watch. Dang. Got the rolly too. Yeah. God almighty. <laughs> now I'm jealous. Now I'm just now yeah. we usually don't take fan questions, but we're gonna make exceptions because when it's the goat greatest of all time motocross racer, Ricky Carmichael, we're gonna oh, we're, yes. we're gonna we're gonna fire off his question. He asks, At what point in the closing stages of the race did you think that this dub might happen? So I felt like the good Lord was watching out for us when we came down pit road and, and the caution came out everything from then on i was like if i can get myself in position you know we're gonna have a shot and that restart uh we worked our way up uh you know into i think seventh at the time maybe sixth and uh the chevrolets of the eight three um 24 myself went around the 17 and six and so we got to fourth i was like all right we're gonna have a shot and then, so from then on, I felt like, hey, I, if I play my cards correctly, we should have a chance. And, you know, everything fell in position. Like you said, it's the great American race. It takes everything to go right, uh, especially at the end. And the 17 and six picking the bottom, uh, giving me the sixth starting position on the second to last restart behind the 22 uh, was, I feel like, game changing for us because when the eight, for whatever reason, decided to pull down in front of the three and do the old team restart there. Uh, it killed the bottom line, and I was able to push the 22 out. And then Noel uh, Larson and I just shaked and baked down the back stretch and, and hung the 22, which was awesome. And then I thought him and I were just going to battle it out, you know, for the next lap and a half. But Kosh came back out and had to do it all over again. Yeah, that that push by the five there down the back stretch was the was the difference. It got you lead, got you in no the, doubt in offensive position to take to take the win. So you read the dark side of NASCAR Twitter. You've seen all the stuff people say about you, people say about me, all the people that don't win a lot. I'll tell you, if you don't win all the time, like you get hate. You get a lot of hate. So do you think the hate changes now that you're the one wearing the leather jacket and got the fat ring? Do you think those fans that talk trash? Even they they'll act like that they didn't even see that race, just because <laughs> just because that's what they want to do is talk trash. Yeah, that's like right. that that makes them feel good. And you know what? That's good, good by them. Uh, I don't I don't let it bother me. I feel like you know friends and family it does bother, uh, but I feel like you got to have rhino skin. You know if you're going to be on social media, especially in in the sports world. So I'm I'm good with it. Um, you know, I, I just kind of laugh, laugh it off. So I saw, now. I saw before the race um, where your team put in, put, we believe uh, on a piece of tape and put it on your, you know, the roll bar above your head, having Mike Kelly on the box, leading your 45 employees at JTG. How much confidence does that give you? One, having him back and two, knowing that, you know, they 100% have your back. It's huge. Um, you know, I think 
that kind of got lost on me over the last, you know, little bit, I feel like, uh, you know, how important that crew chief role of not, not just the setup of the race cars, the, the organization of the race team, but, you know, getting the most out of your employees. And, you know, Mike Kelly believes in me more than I believe in myself most times, but that's what it takes to get the most out of me. And, you know, he does that. I feel like for every single employee on our race team. And when you're a small machine, like we are, you're a small machine, like, like LaJoy's used to, uh, you gotta have every little thing, right. And with this car as tight as the field is those little things from the crew chief make a big difference and go a long way. And, um, I think Mike recognizes that he sat in the background and watched us over the last couple of years. And, uh, and took notes on what he felt like he, you know, would do as a, as a crew chief again. And it's cool to see him get another opportunity. Well, also for full context, he was your crew chief for both your, your nationwide series championships too. So it, there's a lot of history there, a lot of confidence and rapport built. I know you got a packed day. So the last thing you want to do is talk to me. So I'm going to get, I'm going to ask you three questions. The same one I asked for all of our, special guests because there's only one slouch that gets to record the show and it's me you're not a slouch anymore you're a daytona 500 champ. i'm upgraded let's go <laughs> let's freaking go you're just you're a slouch with a big old shiny ring now buddy congrats that's right yes if you had to pick one type of race car and one racetrack the rest of your life what are you going with wow that's tough um you know i grew up or I, you know i would say i should i say say i grew up I would most of the time say like a 410 wing spread car at like, I don't know, Kokomo or I-55 or something. But honestly, since racing stock cars, I would probably take a stock car at Bristol. Oh, Bristol nice. is my by far my favorite track. If we ran a weekly or a monthly series, like on a Wednesday night there, I would, I'd buy a car from my team and just go up there weekly. What about Bristol? Bristol is, it feels like a dirt track, right? Like you can drive your car harder and harder and make speed. And there's a lot of asphalt tracks and concrete tracks that the harder you drive, the slower you go. And I feel like Bristol is, is not like that all the time. That's right. Question number two, what's the most embarrassed you've been at a racetrack? Most embarrassed I've been at a racetrack? Probably... When we had group qualifying at Talladega, and I missed the show. Ooh, oof. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Hate, hate to miss the show. Uh, not good. Not good. Also, funny enough, you're two for two. Austin Cindric misses the Bush Clash last year, LA Clash, wins the Daytona 500. You missed the LA Clash. And ah. win the Daytona 500. So maybe we're on to something. I got a shot. To I got a shot next year. The, 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 the clash big... is not what it's cracked up to be. That's, that's not. Question number three. What was the moment in which you felt like you made it? Ooh. Um, I, probably not until maybe like my second nationwide championship. You know, it's like. You win the first one and I felt really good about it. You know, I was like, man, but we gotta, we gotta win more. We gotta, we gotta contend more with, with these cup guys coming down in the nationwide series. In 2012, I felt like we did that. And so I, I felt like I made it then, but then also felt like, you know, over the last few years, I kind of fell off of it. So I had to gain it back. Well, I'd say you gained it back pretty good Sunday night. Last question. And this is the most important one. Everybody wants to know. What was the Waffle House order? Ah, bacon, egg, and cheese hash brown bowl, extra crispy bacon, extra crispy hash browns, and a pecan waffle. Ooh. What do you get to drink at 2 o'clock in the morning? Uh, I was hydrating with water, actually, at that time because Larson brought me a tequila in Victory Lane. Uh, I had a Sunny D seltzer. I had some <laughs> Sugarland moonshine. I was mixing it up there for a while. so That's deadly. Um yeah. You needed the calories exactly. after climbing the fence by yourself. Why the hell didn't your team climb the fence with you? Where did they go? Dude, they said they were going to. I told them, let me get done with this interview, and we're going to the fence. I turned around, they're gone. I think they looked at the fence, and they said, <laughs> I don't think I want to get up there. 
Well, I know you got a heart out here, buddy. We'll let you go. Thank you for jumping on Stacking Pennies. You are the Daytona 500 champion. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is getting a tour of Chicago, and that's going to lead us into the Chicago race weekend. Huge weekend on tap. Excited to go there over the July 4th weekend. The two-day racing and music festival in the heart of downtown Chicago is headlined by the Chainsmokers, Miranda Lambert, the Black Crows, and Charlie Crockett. Premium hospitality and general admission tickets are still available. Get them before they're gone at NASCARChicago.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use indeed the better it gets and listeners of this show will get a 75 dollars sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com match just go to indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. So pumped for my buddy Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and this week, guys, we are presenting a new segment, and we're calling it Nonsense, because we don't really know what's going to go on, but this week it's going to be trivia. Next week, it might be an opinionated topic. We don't know, but Janie has got the goods. What is Nonsense all about? So this week on Nonsense, we're going to play a little game to see how well you've paid attention to the race and the upcoming track. So it's going to be Corey versus Ryan, and I'm going to start you both off with a dollar. And the point of the game is to have the most money at the end. You get to keep your money by having the closest guest. And for each point you're away from the correct answer, you'll lose a penny. So, for example, if I ask you how many laps did Ricky Stenhouse Jr. lead on Sunday, and you say 20 and the answer is 10, you lose 10 cents. Got it. Both Ooh. teams will get the same questions and will alternate who gives their answer first. Does that make sense? That makes sense with a C. With a I C. see what you did there. With a C. Okay. Can we also just point out, I don't watch TV races. I watch them from my windshield. So I am at a substantial disadvantage for this game. I'm not watching them. What do you mean you're not watching? You're I'm doing working. a pit stop for eight I'm seconds the and then you're sitting mine. there eating bonbons for no, the next I'm 20 not. minutes. I'm the TV broadcast is on on your pit box. Yeah, so but I'm you have no excuse. Filing my socket. I'm getting ready. You're eating Lance crackers and oh, drinking gosh. body armor. Fire away. Okay. Our first question is, the Daytona 500 had how many lead changes, Corey? 20. Well, there's a lot of green flag stops. Let's go 46. 46. Mm. Flores? 31. The answer is 52. Ooh. 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 Yuck. We've got somebody in the back also counting all this for me. Okay. Yes. okay. So Corey was closer. Second question. Ricky Stenhouse had how many starts since his last win? Uh, 199. You know that for a fact? Yeah. Flores? 199. (laughs) (laughs) The answer is 199. Um, His last win was July 1st of 2017 at Daytona in the number 17 car. And the 199 starts between wins is the fourth longest streak in this series history. Hmm. Bill Elliott had 226 starts. Chris Buescher broke his streak last year at 222 starts. Chuck, do you know where he broke the streak? What, Chris Buescher? Bill Elliott. 
Oh, Bill Elliott? I do not. Where did Bill Elliott? Homestead. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, no. Homestead. I was going to say Indy. We're moving on to question three. Question three, switching gears to this weekend, Auto Club Speedway is the oldest asphalt surface in the schedule. How old is it? Oh. You can give me a year or you can give me how old in years. Flores? I'm going to say it was paved last in 2003. Oh, that's, I was going to okay. say that, Corey? but I'm not going to pick the same answer. Oh, four. I think it's oh three. Oh three and oh four. Yeah. Last nineteen ninety six. Wow. Wow. That's that twenty seven years. The old girl's got some age on her, huh? Got a penny back on you. Yeah. Just one. You're a little <laughs> you're a little far. Okay. Question four. Kyle Bush has the best average finish at Auto Club Speedway among the active drivers at nine point seven eight in twenty three starts. How many times has KB won there? I believe that was the site of his first career win as well. Let's go with, I'm going to go with three. Mm, three? I'm going to go with four. Final answer? No, is this just cup cars or everything? Cup. Cup, four. The answer is four. Yeah, <sighs> let's go. Another one at a time. penny. 2005, 2013, 2014, and 2019. Mm. He finished top three in seven of his last 10 races. He's going to be set on kill this weekend. Two. Randall's going to have that thing dialed. Bro, when you look at Kyle Busch's stats, it's like he's freaking impressive. Top dude. seven of all time right now, oh, active. And he's still got eight years left in his career. Do you think he'll win the championship? No. No? He's, he he can, can. He could. Yeah. He has as good a shot as anybody. Yeah. He really does. I mean, Randall is one of the best crew chiefs on, on pit road, and that's a motivated group up there at RCR. Key yeah. partner team. There's really no re- – there's nothing they don't have that Hendrick has. There's nothing Hendrick. the track house has that RCR doesn't have. Kyle's strong. And his team Kyle is strong. Making less money probably through the front door. So my man needs to make some money through the back door and he's gonna be on the loud pedal. Watch out. And the eight car was the best car there last year before he cut left for tire. He's in a good ride. Yeah. Question five. Kevin Harvick will be making his blank consecutive cup series start. Ooh. This coming weekend at Auto Club. Six fifty. Six fifty? Uh six twenty three. 750. Oh, jeez. Wow. All my pennies are gone. Uh, we're, They're all gone. We're penniless. <laughs> <laughs> the last time Kevin Harvick was not in a cup race was Martinsville in April of 2002, Dude. which has been 7,623 <coughs> days. That's unbelievable. Oh, and I, he got sat out there because he was uh, reprimanded or something. I, I was thinking about- 750 straight. I was thinking about Rodney Childers' 600 start. Rodney? Got that confused with Kevin's. That's what I- Darn it. 750 this weekend. That's a lot of freaking races. It's a a lot of seat time right there. We'll go to the bonus question. Let's go. Question is, where does that Kevin Harvick 750 consecutive starts rank all time? In terms of Ironman or just total? Like in a row? Just all time. All time. All time. Okay. Seventh. Fifth. Third. Whoa. Jeff Gordon ranks first all time at 797 starts, and Ricky Rudd ranks second of all time with mm. 788. Wow. So he's close. Company. What is that, 40, 47 races? I feel like that's, tr- that's consecutive. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it's consecutive. That's consecutive. Because Joey's going to be. He's like the next closest person that can reach that Ironman mark, is yeah. I think Joey. Yeah. Kevin was there, but he would have had to have raced for another. Two, three years, well, I think. Well, 40, 40, say 45 short, he'd be... 47. Yeah, he'd be so a year like, and a half. Yeah. yeah. I hurt Kyle when he broke his leg. Yeah. When Kyle broke his leg, I hurt he him. He was in it. Mm. That hurt him towards that. Mm. But yes, Joey is there. It hurt, hurt his leg, too. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. tough. Tough yeah. day. You know what lives in my head rent-free? Who? When Denny Hamlin tweeted that he did 10,000 races in Landon Castle, I was like, Denny's been averaging... <laughs> 300 whatever races yeah, a, a race, year. a race every 12 hours for his entire life. <laughs> I thought about that the other day. I was like, damn, landing from the cheap seats. Is like, he counting like eye racing? Like, no, is he I don't know. Uh, it was just, you know. it was just funny on the, at the time. Yeah, it, it was. And let's just go right from nonsense into Penny for your thoughts questions. Cause we got a couple good ones this week. We do have a couple that are not nonsense. Our First one is from Helmet Toss, and he wants to know, if you could design the perfect driver-owner bus lot, what's it look like, and what amenities does it have? The perfect driver-owner bus lot. So this one, the Daytona DO lot is is really nice. It's got a 
playground for the kids. It's got a little track. They can ride their scooters and bikes around. It's got a literally an entire gym, locker room, shower. So there's really not – unless if you wanted to add a taco truck in a spot, take Daytona's D.O. lot, copy it for all the places. Kansas has a good D.O. lot. It's got a, It's got a little – common area it's also got a playground it's also got basketball courts beyond that there's some that are kind of bogus there's some that need to spice up the joint a little bit throw throw a playground there for the kiddos maybe some peach enchiladas mm. oh not some churros churros, oh. not, churros. <laughs> not churros taco truck <laughs> peach enchiladas a gym would be nice maybe roller coaster chuck Ooh, a roller coaster would you guys like <laughs> remember that little remember that day of, settle on a ferris wheel I'll go with the first one. Maybe merry-go-round. <laughs> Remember that damn place called Jeepers in in Concord Mills with the indoor the little, roller coasters? Little thing they just did that. I oh, burned yeah. that place up when I was a kid. Yeah. I miss Jeepers. Moving on. <laughs> Patrick Berger wants to know of all the tracks you go to, what is the restaurant or bar you look forward to going to the most Ooh, every season? That's I a freaking that's right. great question, man. I have a whole list of food stuff right here. Let me pull it up. I have some great spots going to Fontana this week. I don't really have any Fontana food spots, but I got, so Keith Rathbun steak in Atlanta is probably one of my all time favorite steakhouses. Phoenix, you got steak 44. You've got the Henry, you got the nook. There's a place called rough rider. That's really good. Vegas. There's Chicago Joe's craft steak and the MGM. Super good. Oscars is good. In Texas, I got Perry Steakhouse, St. Wow. Louis, Pappy's Barbecue. I got Hard Eight. Texas, uh, Hard Eight in Texas. You're you're a big sure. steakhouse guy. Farisa, it's an Italian joint in Kansas. It's really good. I do love steak. You, I, I think Indy comes to mind because you're a big St. Elmo's, Elmo's guy. Yeah, I, I like Buca de Beppo's. I don't yeah. like Buca de Beppo's. I just like the ambiance. Um, there, I mean, there are places though, and I probably don't have a lot of them written down in my notes section but there are places when we go and i'll remember it right it's like if i land i don't know talladega there's you know there's spots in birmingham that are good spots and i'll just pull them up and yeah hit my local spots because if any broke don't fix it what's that one in talladega um it's a barbecue place and it's out Oh, man, man. Really, I got to really look it up. All right, we've got one more question from Dustin Worthy, and he wants to know, do you think the more rounded bumper on the new cars makes it harder to push at speedways than the older cars? You ever try to get two marbles balance each other on top of each other? That's what it's like trying to push these bumpers. It's just, yeah, the, the rounded bumpers for sure are make it harder to stay locked because – let me see. Let me show you a little. Going, I, I got. I got a little thing here going. I know this is an audio show, but you know, we're going to be on the camera. We got some rounded bumpers here. We've got two next gen car diecast illustrating it. When you push on, if you push on this side right here, you're going to have a bad day, okay? <laughs> and then if you push on this side of the bumper and you're kind of hitting it like this and you're kind of pushing off that nice rounded bumper, you're going to have a good day, okay? That's how it works. Um, and when you saw that 99 pushing the eight, he's all out of shape like this. Oh no! Oh no! Left rear stop into the fence. Kyle Bush is having a bad day. Okay. And then if you so when you're pushing Denny Hamlin, and you also see what makes you really kind of like freak out when you're pushing somebody is when these cow flaps are like <laughs> when I was leading the bottom lane and Justin was pushing me, Justin Haley, I would drag the brake until I could see in my rearview camera his cow flaps opening up and I knew that he was close. So that's when I would get off the brake. So that was actually a pretty good indication of like, okay, he's close enough to where I don't have to drag the brake anymore. Little tricks of the trade, you bro. Know? I thought the six cars was coming off. That thing his, was his cow flap. Oh yeah, it was it, bad. It's wild. Yeah, because like your your eyes just like get attracted to the cow flaps, and you're just like, oh my goodness, that thing's flapping so fast. <laughs> I don't know what to do. But yeah, it's it's when you're pushing somebody and the old wicks turned up, man, it gets pretty gets pretty electric. Does it make noise when it flaps like that? You hear it or no? no? You it's don't just loud it. enough where you don't hear it. No. Oh. But yes, the rounded bumpers certainly make it a challenge to push with these uh, with these next gen cars. That's why you see those those straightaway wrecks and guys trying to get a little bit too much. You'll have that. Shout out! We got a couple penny for penny stackers. We had a ton of penny stackers at the racetrack. Love when people mention it. They listen to the show. Always appreciate people listening. So we got two. Well, there was probably ten thousand penny stackers at the racetrack this weekend, but there was one uh, that stood out. 
above the rest in the garage. My man had a super shoe hat. He had a Corey LaJoy hoodie. He was carrying around a helmet. He was getting guys autographs. I believe he was 13. His name was Grant from Moultrie, Georgia. Super happy to be there. Was probably one of the biggest Corey LaJoy fans I've ever met. So I went there. We usually have a bunch of hats and shirts in the lounge. Got Leanne to hook my man up with some new merch. And he he knew the rules. He said, man, I love the podcast. And, you know, I'm just a big Corey LaJoy fan down here from Moultrie, Georgia. I'm like, well, you know what? Just because you didn't ask, buddy, you're the Penny Stacker of the Week. Also, shout out, you know who else is the Penny Stacker of the Week, Chuck? Who's that? Dale Earnhardt Jr. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and I know my man isn't in for publicity, but I'm going to give him a little bit of love right here because he has done me and my family a solid this week. So, Friday, I'll try to keep this story concise. So, Friday, we get to Beach House. There's Wednesday to Wednesday. Pepe, Pepe is my dad's dad. Pays for it all. There's like 18, 16, 18 people in this house. We're all excited. Pepe's ready to go to the truck race. We're walking out. There's about a six-inch step out of the front door. Uh, he's 85 years old. He's wearing sandals, steps out of the front door, rolls his ankle, takes a digger on his right shoulder, knee, bangs his head off the pavement. Being a junkyard guy, tough as nails, just posted up. He wanted to go to the race. Obviously, they wouldn't let him go to the race. Saturday, he was in pain, getting worse and worse. Finally, on Saturday night, we loaded him up and took him to the ER x-rays cat scans the whole thing they cra- he broke three ribs knee was busted up big old bruise and knot on his head he took a big shot to the head so he was you know not feeling good whatsoever and every passing hour he felt worse and worse watches the race sunday monday comes around he's feeling worse and worse and then my aunt and uncle and everybody down there we came back but the people that were down there with him taking care of him didn't want him to fly back commercial because that was the plan of him just flying you know getting through TSA and all the stuff would have been a headache. So yesterday I was trying to figure out how to get like a wheels up flight or something charter plane to get my man back to Connecticut comfortable and and all that. So talking to Joey, he was trying to hook me up with his wheels up connections and this guy and that guy. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to text Dale. Like the people who I have relationship with, have planes. Dale's the first one I called. Hey man, this is what I got going on. My grandpa's kind of banged up and they want to bring him to the airport and all that and sit him in the middle seat and coach when he's, you know, can't bend his leg, the whole thing. Right. And Jane was like, okay, let me call my pilots tomorrow or today. It was like six o'clock last night and see if they got anything going on tomorrow. Five minutes later, Joey Meyer calls me back. He's his pilot. Hey, here we got a rescue mission for pop. I'm like, yeah, buddy gives him all the information. All right, we'll meet him down. First thing, Tuesday morning at Daytona Beach, and we'll bring him back to wherever he's got to go. So Dale Jr. sent the bird down to Daytona Beach, uh, picked Pepe up, brought him back to Westchester, Connecticut, or Westchester, New York, right there by his hometown in Norwalk, and uh, and got him unloaded, all home safe and sound. So Dale Jr., you, sir, are the penny stagger of the week. Can't thank you enough for helping Grandpa out. And I know you don't do it for publicity, but I, uh, I wanted to thank you because you're a good dude. And... That's a good ending to the show. Y'all continue to give your love to Dale Jr. Continue to give your your love to us as well. Stacking pennies, like, rate, review, all the things. Send in your questions, hashtag Penny for your thoughts. And we're going to talk to you next week. We're going to Fontana for the Pala Casino 400. It's going to be a great weekend. Appreciate you guys each and every week. This is Stacking Pennies.